Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with representatives of a global, multi-stakeholder community. I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and I'm delighted to have a conversation with Pavan Dugal. Pavan, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you on your program. Yeah. Uh, allow me to introduce uh, Pavan Dugal. Uh, he's an Indian advocate who specializes in the field of cyber law and e-commerce law. He's an advocate for the Supreme Court of India and is recognized as one of the top four cyber lawyers around the world. He's the president of Cyber Law Asia, uh, leads the International Conference on Cyber Law, Cybercrime and Cybersecurity, and is the chair of the International Commission on Cybersecurity Law. Now, Pavan, uh, welcome again uh, to the, the dialogue with the Institute for Accountability. I realize I know you spoke over 2,000 conferences, so happy you also want to join our discussion on accountability. Thank you. It's a pleasure. You know, first of all, congratulations to your institute for doing some path-breaking work in the area of accountability. And uh, thank you for spreading the message and awareness about the need for more accountability in cyberspace. I appreciate that. Thank you, Pavan. Uh, now, I want to immediately dive in uh, because you've recently written a book, The New Cyber World Order Post-COVID-19. Why did you need to rewrite uh, that book? What was the reason? Well, ever since COVID-19 came across, it was very clear that it's one of the most significant developments in our living memory. But uh, the moment COVID-19 came across and then lockdowns happened, I quickly realized that there were two elements that were governing our day-to-day -day lives, fear and panic, because we did not do anything about this pandemic and how it's going to potentially evolve. And or as months started going by, I began to start realizing that COVID-19, apart from being a public health emergency, is also going to be a huge kind of a milestone in human history. So I started examining the role or impact of cyber of COVID-19 on cyberspace. And I was actually amazed to find that uh, COVID-19 has acted like a catalyst in terms of really pushing forward some massive changes in cyberspace. Those changes are still undergoing, but I thought, let me do some crystal gazing and let me look at what I see uh, is potentially going to be happening. And what I, uh, my analysis and uh, my study told me that the, by the time the world is victorious against the current and subsequent wave of COVID-19 infections, we will enter into a new cyber age where a new cyber world order is going to be awaiting us. And the, uh, shall I say, the early signs of this new cyber world order are already well uh, before us. Uh, one of the key elements of this new cyber world order will be that states will become very, very powerful. I was extensively in analyzing the laws pertaining to uh, different countries which have been passed during COVID-19 times for purposes of fighting COVID-19. And I, when I analyzed them, I realized that uh, apart from these laws being targeted at the pandemic, these laws were ultimately contributing towards making the states very powerful. And states are now today capturing, collecting, processing all kinds of information, including sensitive personal data pertaining to their citizens uh, under the garb of fighting this public health emergency. So I started 
examining more about these trends. And I said, let's now try to unravel the mysteries. Of course, I'm not a soothsayer, nor an astrologer, but on the basis of what trends have emerged today in cyberspace, I've come to the conclusion that a new cyber world order is going to await us. This will be the new cyber world order where apart from states becoming very powerful, we will begin to start seeing cybercrime as a part of our daily companion. So no longer will cybercrime be something off the horizon. This is already and will be touching an integral part of our lives. Further, cybersecurity breaches will be the new normal. And uh, this pandemic has already told us that whether it's increasing ransomware, whether it's distributed denial of service attacks, these are all ultimately aimed at breaching the cybersecurity of not just systems, but also of data. And I've also uh, potentially looked at the fact that the people are not very, very comfortable as states are increasingly trying to interfere in their digital liberties. So we could also see in this new cyber age where we could see a migration of users from the superficial net onto the dark net because privacy is getting increasingly very, very important. No wonder when, when we see the recent report that Gartner has come in, Gartner has already now proposed that 60% uh, of the entire nations by 2023 are likely to have some kind of a privacy related legislation. So that's the new cyber world order that I've elaborated upon in my new book. When you read through the book, you can be far more well prepared on how to deal with this very uncertain new cyber world order. It's still very early times. You really can't give uh, complete predictions of how this order will evolve. But yes, the internet, as we knew prior to COVID pandemic, is now history. The internet, the internet that's currently we are seeing and using during the pandemic is also a transitional ecosystem. And it's all going to transition into this new cyber world order where citizens will have to increasingly be very, very careful and safeguarding their digital rights and liberties as more state and non-state actors are likely to intrude into their digital liberties. And as we are walking into this new data economy, where the data is the new oil of the data economy, uh, there are ramifications concerning data for all stakeholders. These ramifications will increasingly be discovered and analyzed by digital stakeholders into this new cyber age. So that's why I thought, let me write this book to sensitize digital stakeholders of what I think is going to be uh, potentially a new chapter as far as evolution of cyber legal jurisprudence and cyberspace is concerned at a global, international, regional and national levels. Wow, that's quite a prediction you're making. Um... And you've truly uh, assessed all the countries around the world, or did you highlight particular reasons um, um, which are more concerning? No, I looked at uh, all the legal frameworks that have been passed in different countries across the world during the pandemic. Okay. And uh, we've seen that during pandemic, almost every country has passed some legislation, legal framework, rules and regulations. And uh, when one analyzes them, when on the face of it, yes, these are regulations that are aimed to prevent the dissemination of the infection and to empower the hands of the government. But then these are open-ended kind of regulations. When you look at countries like Hungary, which has now come up with a new law, which is actually empowering the current government to keep on governing till such time Hungary is victorious against the current and subsequent wave of COVID-19 infections. That is also just an inclination to show how these 
rules and regulations are being used as a means for perpetuation, governance by particular stakeholders. Also, I began to start seeing that while uh, contact tracing has been an important component of the strategy of different stakeholders at the global level, governments are increasingly no longer in a mood to stop using the data that they have actually collected during contact tracing apps and periods uh, for a variety of purposes. No wonder this data will continue to be used as important uh, ammunition for governance and governance related activities. Now, necessarily that may not be what would have been the expectation of the users when they started sharing their data using the contact tracing apps. But then that's this new cyber age that's coming across. And therefore, if people have an expectation that states will protect their privacy, then I think they are in for a rude shock. Today, states want to know more and more about you, about your lives, about your digital activities and your interactions in cyberspace so that they can have a more predictive model of how they could potentially go ahead and uh, try to govern people. Therefore, the onus will have to increasingly be on individuals on how they have to be consciously careful in terms of safeguarding the privacy of another digital rights of theirs in cyberspace. So okay. it's a very interesting time, but people have to be alive and conscious of these constantly changing uh, scenarios. Pavan, I agree indeed. Uh, int we live in interesting times. Uh, and does that also mean that the main you want the main audience of your book uh, and your thoughts to be with um, civil society itself, with the, the individual citizen? Well, from the perspective of individual citizens, this book is of very relevance because it's actually telling this uh, users and individuals on how they can prepare themselves. One of the biggest problems of today's times is that we got so much engulfed into cyberspace that we often tend to lose the distinction between virtual world and the real world. And most of the time, we do not get an opportunity to just step, step two steps behind and try to see a more holistic picture. Mm -hmm. So this book is going to make users more sensitized on how they can come up with more uh, cyber legal approaches in their day-to-day -day lives, so as to protect their digital rights, their digital interests, their data, and also how they can need to be more prepared. In this book, I've also said that cyber skills will have to be constantly evolving because this pandemic has told us that the world is changing and the world post-pandemic will be a different world. For example, work from home will be now an integral part of our existence for the next many, many years. So in a scenario like this, individuals need to have appropriate digital skill sets which must be constantly updated so that they can be in sync with the realities and they can effectively be made more um, attuned with the, and more, shall I say, abreast of how to effectively deal with constantly changing scenarios. Okay. I highlighted the need for capacity building and how this capacity building will increasingly help users at large. I understand that. Uh, so uh, I fully agree that the, the individual user, the citizen, the worker, um, uh, that, that there's a need to improve digital skills. Uh, however, uh, in a lot of countries around the world, it's that same government who then provides that training, that provides that education. Uh, but you just made an argument that what they're doing is something which might not necessarily be what you want. So how can you, on one hand, uh, describe governments as doing something which should, which should concern us because it's attacking our privacy, 
On the other hand, they are, in most cases, responsible for educating uh, society. So clearly, uh, we are living in an age of dichotomy. There are distinctive intrinsic contradictions that we see in cyberspace. Well, we trust our governments and our nation states because we believe that they are the best repositories of our data. But in this data-driven world, where data becomes important component for governance-related strategies, it's increasingly very important for us to realize that this data will increasingly be used by state actors for a variety of governance and not so governance-related issues and subjects. So therefore, while we trust the governments, uh, the, the, the learning on the wall is very, very clear that you cannot trust all governments at all points of time. And therefore, you have to be responsible for protecting your own privacy. So for example, if I'm going to be ruthlessly careful, careless, and share all my data on social media, then I can't really blame the government. I will have to blame myself. And therefore, we will have to get more proactive uh, strategies for enhancing our awareness levels. Okay, now, now you're focusing on uh, governments collecting data about their citizens. Uh, obviously, we also have a lot of non-governmental organizations collecting large amounts of data. Uh, what's your take on that? I think this non-state actors who are collecting huge volumes of data are all contributing towards a proliferation of this big data economy. And unfortunately, we find that the world is not completely prepared so as to deal with this kind of uh, new scenarios. We've begun to start seeing a scenario where a number of countries do not have dedicated data protection laws or privacy laws. And therefore, increasingly more and more countries would be called upon to come up with the legal frameworks to regulate the kind and the manner in which this kind of data being collected by non-state actors could potentially be dealt, handled, or processed with. Well, in the context of European Union, you have the general data protection regulation. That's wonderful. But then a number of countries do not yet have dedicated data protection laws. Also, a large number of countries do not also have privacy laws. So consequently, uh, somewhere down the line, as these stakeholders become extremely powerful, these non-state actors, and as they increasingly become big repositories of big data, of users, uh, the governments will have to step in and will have to de clearly define the rules and the procedures, how these non-state actors could deal, handle, or process with data in such a manner that their commercial rights are also protected, but at the same time, the data privacy and personal privacy of users is not prejudicially impacted in any manner whatsoever. Okay, and so you, you, you've made a case that uh, on one hand, we need to, um, you could say, monitor governments in their data collection. On the, one, on the other hand, governments need to control the non-state actors. Um, when it's within the, the, the confines of a country, then you have already have a lot of legislation taking care of that or not. But what's your take on who needs to manage this um, when it starts to cross boundaries? Because uh, that's, I think, one of the, the key elements differentiating cyberspace. Uh, it doesn't stop at the geographic boundaries. So how are how we going to manage that part? That's a huge challenge, primarily because internet has made geography history and uh, the national laws do not necessarily impact uh, digital activities beyond the boundaries of a particular nation. So as we go forward, 
we will have to come up with an international order. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, at the time when I talk with you today, we find that there is a complete absence of uh, an international cyber law or cyber legal arrangement in place. There's no international cyber law. There's no international cyber security law, nor even an agreement of a treaty on cyber security. Of course, you have the Budapest Convention or the Convention on Cybercrime of Council of Europe, but that's only a very focused uh, treaty on uh, uh, cybercrimes per se. Therefore, as we go forward, and as these new technologies are increasingly eroding the distinctions uh, that we currently have in different sectors and verticals, we need to have uh, an understanding and agreement of certain common denominators of principles at the international levels, because you cannot really deal with these extraterritorial jurisdictional issues by national laws. Way back in 2015, during the WISIS Forum at Geneva, I had uh, come up with an idea that there's the need for having in place or coming up with an international convention on cyber law and cyber security. And the idea was that I said, look, normally convection, conventions will are long drawn out processes. Therefore, uh, let's only focus on low hanging fruits. Let's look at common denominators of agreed legal principles, which are agreed by nations at large. And uh, those could become the starting point for the evolution of this international convention on uh, cyber law and cyber security. But clearly the idea was much ahead of its times and I realized that states were not necessarily wanting to bite the bullet. Today, states and nation actors are doing both covert and overt activities. And they do not deliberately want an international setup or an international framework where their activities could be exposed or where they could be potentially named and shamed. And that's the reason why this status quo is continuing to getting pushed by nation states across the world. That's the reason why the United Nations group of governmental experts have been actually struggling for the last many years just to come to one final basic uh, unanimous conclusion that the principles of international law are applicable to cyberspace. So we are beginning to find more impediments being drawn in this regard by nation states. In this context, therefore, we'll have to keep on waiting, but we will have to also keep on working for an international order. Right now, the pandemic could be a good starting point because pandemic has told us the world cannot be taken for granted and things are completely unpredictable. So the quicker governments come up with their own distinctive national uh, and international approaches in the context of uh, regulating cyberspace, that'll be fine. But in case if you're wanting regulation to take through place through technical bodies like the internet corporation for assigned names or numbers, that may only have a limited applicability. These bodies are good for technical operation of the internet, but ultimately the legal, policy and regulatory issues pertaining to cyberspace will have to be now dealt with at the international level, given the advent of now these new dangerous and interesting technologies like artificial intelligence, blockchain, internet of things, and internet of behavior. Uh, Pavan, uh, agreed, we have to address this on a global multi-stakeholder level. Uh, in your opinion, um, are all the stakeholders, actors all already there? We need to bring them together? Or do you think we need to create a new body uh, to deal with the issue you just described? I think all the stakeholders are already here. What's really required is connecting the dots. Mm -hmm. That is what's what happening because different stakeholders are working in silos in their own distinctive areas. Those 
silos related exercises need to be converged together into comprehensive uniform approach. Uh, well, there's already need for a new kind of a body because the United Nations have really failed to deliver. Mm -hmm. But then even creating a new body is going to take time. And therefore, right now, if the nation states can begin to start agreeing on certain common minimum denominators of legal principles in the form of uh, existing international treaties, that could be a good starting point. Already, when I look at confidence building measures that are happening in, within uh, different countries on a bilateral basis, they are going to usher in this kind of an ecosystem where there'll be now more push and focus on nation states to start coming up with international uh, arrangements and agreements in this regard. But then it's a long drawn out process is likely to take more time as we go forward. Okay, but can we afford that time? Because technology is moving so fast, we need to govern it. I don't think we can afford any kind of wastage of time because technology has already moved very, very fast. And we do not have the bandwidth of waiting endlessly because already technology has made law obsolete. Okay. Already now we're coming off <coughs> new technologies like VPNs, like artificial intelligence, Cyber criminals are having a great edge over governments and law enforcement agencies. On top of it, the coming of COVID-19 has already now begun to start seeing the emergence of the golden age of cybercrime, mm -hmm. where all kinds of distinctive new manifestations and avatars of cybercrimes are emerging during COVID-19. And uh, last year, 2020, the world lost more than 6 trillion US dollars thanks to cybercrime, but those figures are no longer stopping. By the end of 2021, it is anticipated that the world is likely to lose more than 8 trillion US dollars as a result of cyber crimes and cybersecurity breaches. So the time for waiting is long gone. Right now is the time for effective action by all stakeholders before it gets too late. Okay, so COVID has accelerated um, the development. Um, has COVID in your mind also presented maybe low hanging fruit for solutions which we didn't realize we could uh, use to uh, accelerate uh, solutions on governance? I completely agree that COVID is not just a public health emergency. It's also a pandemic, but it's also a cyber pandemic and a great opportunity creator. Because when one looks at this opportunity this of this new vacuum that's come up at the international level, and when I'm beginning now to see this vaccine diplomacy evolving, where different countries are increasingly sharing vaccines with other countries as part of the diplomatic uh, measures, uh, I think COVID-19 presents a wonderful opportunity for countries to say, let's leave our existing mindsets. Let's start coming and sitting on the table and agreeing at small baby steps, small low-hanging fruits of legal principles because that's something that's almost universal in nature. That could begin in the form of a group. It could be in the form of regional bloc. It could be international arrangements. It could also be existing international instruments who are slightly expanding or evolving themselves to make themselves more relevant, like the Budapest Convention, who is wanting to make itself more relevant given the advent of cybersecurity breaches. But I think uh, the time for waiting and the time for relaxing on our laurels is long gone. It's time for immediate action. Otherwise, cyber criminals will continue to rule the roost and the cyber security breaches will continue to keep on laughing all the way to the bank. So you very much described a 21st century issue. 
And I'm realizing I'm talking to a, a lawyer which uses the law as his instrument, um, as his tool uh, for his trade. But do you also see the development of other tools and instruments uh, to deal with the issues you just mentioned? So are there 21st century solutions for this 21st century issues outside uh, the current way we deal with uh, uh, governance? I think there are now technological solutions that are evolving in the 21st century and uh, stakeholders must have an open mindset to openly embrace these uh, technological solutions. For example, the coming of blockchains has provided you a mechanism of self-regulation using the public leisure per se. And we find countries like Malta and Estonia coming up with dedicated legal frameworks for purposes of regulating and legally recognizing not just the blockchain technology, but also crypto assets and cryptocurrencies. That could be a good starting point. Okay. Also, the coming of uh, artificial intelligence actually presents a great opportunity because this artificial intelligence uh, technology can increasingly be used by governments so as to uh, go ahead and uh, come up with new approaches concerning governance. Uh, maybe these approaches will have to be vetted by human minds, human intelligence to say how far are these relevant, how far are they workable, but clearly these are new opportunities. And now with the coming of uh, internet of behavior, where your data from your internet of things device is going to be used for the purposes of predicting your behavior, I think the time for self-regulation has equally arrived. Stakeholders have to quickly realize that the market is going to determine through its own independent mechanisms who's going to stay and who's going to vanish. And in a scenario like this, if stakeholders can increasingly uh, start adopting more uh, self-regulatory mechanisms to ward off regulation by governments, that could be a great starting point. Ultimately, it's uh, numerous new opportunities that I'm seeing on the horizon. It really depends on whether the relevant state and non-state actors have the mindsets and the courage to go ahead and experiment with these new 21st century solutions that the 21st century uh, problems and issues have thrown up. Uh, but in case if we only have a 19th century mindset to deal with governance, we may not be having a holistic approach on the various permutations and combinations. I think uh, I'm actually uh, guided by the philosophy of uh, Mahatma Gandhi, the father of nation of India, who said, look, I want uh, the windows in all the four directions of my house to be open so that the winds from all the four directions can come inside and I can actually smell the scent of uh, the winds of all the four directions. That's okay. the holistic approach that stakeholders will have to adopt as they go forward in the 21st century decision-making paradigm. Hey, Pavan, I wanna thank you so much because you've taken us on a, a very quick journey on the need for a holistic approach. You've given us some uh, idea of solutions, why we need them uh, because of the COVID acceleration, uh, some food for thought, and also some examples to look at. Uh, final question before we have to go. Uh, how do you see the Institute for Accountability adding value in this global discussion? I believe your institute has a very remarkable and valuable role to play, primarily because you are becoming a great catalyst at your institute in terms of getting all the relevant stakeholders together and letting them focus on this area of accountability. Because over a period of time, as internet has evolved, it evolved uh, from the wild, wild west. And then we started to see uh, different 
cyber legal frameworks in different parts of the world coming in. But now with more of this big data economy coming in and data becoming the new oil of the data economy, accountability becomes of crucial importance. Further, as intermediaries globally have become very powerful as data repositories and have even become bigger than some national governments, it's time to make them more accountable. Somewhere down the line, a lot of intermediaries are thinking that they are above the, uh, the level or the scope of accountability. That kind of a misconception has to be completely quashed. And for that, it's important that institutions like yours contribute in pushing the envelope as far as evolving dialogue and evolving, uh, shall I say, uh, interaction of thought processes on accountability is concerned. Ultimately, we all have to realize that this is the internet that's a human heritage for the global mankind. And this heritage, in order to be robust, sound, and reliable, must be accountable. And stakeholders must have some level of accountability. And for that, your institute has been really pushing the envelope in terms of contributing to the evolving discussions and debates. And I think the time has come that when institutions like you all will become important reference points and guiding elements for state and non-state actors to come up with both uh, regulatory mechanisms as also industry self-driven approaches, which can specifically build around the entire element of accountability. We have to quickly realize the more accountable you become, the more transparent you become, the more robust you become, and the more reliable you become in the coming times. Therefore, in these transient times, uh, the work on accountability is of crucial significance. And I would like to com compliment and congratulate your institute for its remarkable work so far and wishing you all the best because you as a catalyst are joining the dots. And that's becoming so very important as we push forward for the further debate on accountability in the coming times. Avan, I really want to thank you for that. So great feedback. And, uh, and also let's uh, push it together. Let's push forward together. Looking forward, we'll be happy to contribute to your institute and its activities in any manner that I can in terms of my expertise and thoughts. We'll, we'll be doing that. Pavan, thank you for your time. Thank you, Fritz, for giving me this opportunity and thank you for this very interesting conversation and uh, for your remarkable homework because you've been actually coming up with very diverse questions and I'm glad we could talk on a variety of issues. Thank you and wishing you all the best.